This episode is sponsored by Arculus and Bullish. Stay tuned for more information on both of them later in this episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times every week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, trading, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, today's guest certainly qualifies as someone with a good story to tell. I think this is the first time that we've had a member of the clergy on the show, the Bitcoin rabbi, not only obviously teaching Judaism, but also wrote a book called Bitcoin Money that has been touted as a great starting point, entry point for beginners of all ages for Bitcoin. It's a children's book, but great for adults as well. And now he actually teaches both Bitcoin and Judaism and how the two interact with one another. Rabbi Kras, thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really glad to be here. So I think it's essential that we start with your Bitcoin journey because it's obviously an unconventional one. How did you discover Bitcoin in the first place and why did you become so passionate about it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's so unconventional. I think I probably hit it a lot uh, similar to uh, the way a lot of other people, uh, you know, first uh, heard about it uh, in you know earlier days, but did not understand it at all. Didn't think that it was legitimate. I kind of thought it had to do with video games, you know, I, I knew that there was a lot of uh, like uh, wow gold and, and there were virtual currencies that people were were trading with that. And that was just not not my particular interest. So I really, um, you know, put it to the side. Um, but in the 2017 bull run, um, you know, it started to uh, catch attention. And that's when um, it was first ever really explained to me that I ever, you know, saw more than a headline. And uh, I had an interest in um, in uh, economics and monetary theory uh, before then. And so once it really, I got what it is and what it's trying to do and how it's trying to revolutionize uh, finance and economics, that's when I just, you know, got, went, dove right into it. So since 2017, I, you know, try and learn as much as I can uh, and and teach people and just follow everything that's going on in the space. So what was it about your studies of monetary policy, fiscal policy that led you to the importance of Bitcoin, right? Because first you have to have an understanding of the problems with the existing system before you can have that wow moment, I think, with the solution. Yeah. Um, so the, the main, I came from it from a you know, Austrian um, gold, gold uh, bug, gold standard kind of perspective. Uh, I liked the idea of uh, you know, having a, a fixed supply, you know, once you get, really understand that and catch that, you know, there are 21 million Bitcoin, there will never be any more. And that you could have a financial system based off of that uh, absolute scarcity that I just thought was the coolest thing, because I growing up always just was bothered by this concept of uh, of monetary inflation and of the price of everything constantly going up. Every time we, I would go out somewhere with my father, you know, he would tell me, uh, you know, that when when his father was young, it cost uh, five cents to go to a movie. And when he was young, it cost 25 cents. And when I was young, it cost 10 bucks. And it just didn't seem fair to me. So that's the from the uh, uh, inflation perspective. And then from the um, from the aspect of uh, censorship, censorship resistance, and 
I saw people who my family comes from, you know, in previous generations from the from the former Soviet Union and from uh, Russia and a lot of my friends and people in the Jewish community. And so I know what it means to one live in a society where the government controls the money and controls everything that you can do and buy. And then when you want to leave that country, you know, what can you take your money with you? So that, you know, applied for, during uh, World War II and to uh, people that live in communist countries, they really don't have control of their money. So these two aspects, um, you know, that, that uh, Jewish people in particular have had to, uh, to leave their countries and over different time periods and have been exiled and uh, it, to have something that so seems solid and seems fair and fairly built. Uh, and I just loved that idea about it. I just, I, I, that it seems like the right, like a good kind of money, good in the, you know, uh, moral sense that it's, it, it can do, you can do good with it and it can be good for the world. It seems that we have a very simple, similar ancestry. My, my family were also Jews that emigrated from what was Russia and now is the Ukraine in the early 1900s for all of the same reasons. So that certainly res resonates with me. You don't often hear the argument about moral money and good money. I love the concept that you just breached because that's not something that I've heard really talked about on this show or beyond. What does that really mean to have money that's that's moral and what's, I guess, immoral about our existing money? Well, for a person, I mean, to, to you know, be fair, anytime that a person uses their money good for good things, you know, that's good. Money is a technology. And just like all other technologies, they can be used for good or for negative. So when people paint, you know, Bitcoin, whether it's used by this kind of person for the for this purpose or another, uh, you know, obviously people can use it for good purposes or or for, to help the world and help their families or for you know nefarious things. And that's always going to be the case with every kind of technology. Um, but just when something is more inherently fair, when it's built more fairly, uh, I think that's uh, a good thing. And that's something that we should uh, should strive for and, and look for in a system. I mean, we look for that in all of the systems that we um, that we work in. We want our sports to be fair. We want our government to be fair. We don't want uh, individuals, uh, unchecked people to have control over those things. And so that's what Bitcoin offers with its you know, decentralization and uh, permissionless and open source. It just is has all of those properties that uh, I think is a great thing that you know, someone can use either to, uh, if they want to be hedging against inflation, or if they are in a, um, you know, in a, a third world country and they are, uh, don't like the way that they are censored, or if they live in a first world country and they can't donate the money the, the way they want to, Bitcoin gives people uh, that option that they didn't have before. You talk about the idea that we want our money to be fair, our sports to be fair, our government to be fair. And I think it's very, very clear that as a result of monetary policy, our government or, or certainly finance is not fair for most people, right? I mean, I think we have a greater divide now than ever before between the haves and the have nots. And clearly in your opinion and mine as well, Bitcoin is one potential solution for that. So obviously we have the wealthy people who want to store value, but how can Bitcoin actually help the people who are living paid paycheck to paycheck and maybe don't have savings and don't need to store value. They just need, obviously, to be able to afford to live. Yeah, that the thing is that, uh, you know, you do need to to uh, better your life and better your future uh, for your family. You do need to have savings and you need to um, 
that needs to be also part of your culture and part of your mindset. And so the fact that we have a currency and that globally around the world, all currencies are basically built in to be debased and to lose value. Uh, I think that it makes a culture of um, people that don't believe in saving and don't save as much as they should. They're not um, putting as much uh, planning into the future and in this generation um, as in previous. I mean, I, I do. We, you know, I think we both live in the in the U.S. and and live uh, you know priv- relatively privileged uh, lifestyles compared to most people in the world because our uh, warbears are you know they planned and they saved and they tried to uh, push things forward for the next generation. And so even with small amounts, if you can. Uh, personally, you know, put away some savings uh, and and start planning for your future. And that can be in Bitcoin or it can be in, in other uh, stores of value as well. But I think Bitcoin uh, encourages it. It has this saver um, culture to it, the hodler culture, which I think is a good thing that people should get used to whether they are. I mean, I know that you are, you're the wolf of all streets. So investing can, can, can be a positive thing for, for all kinds of people. But I think that more also on a societal uh, perspective, uh, we haven't seen it wide scale yet, but I think that having a money that is um, deflationary, that, that gains in value, that is more fair, that uh, allows more opportunity and more uh, participation um, and is global is just going to, you know, be the tide, the rising tide that rise all, rises all boats. So that's what I'm hopeful for, is that it's uh, just the more um, inclusiveness uh, and more equity in a, in a financial system will, will help people overall. I love it. So obviously you found out about Bitcoin, you took the orange pill, as we as we love to say, and went deep down that road. But then you went much further than most people, right? Many could have stopped there, use it for their personal finances, but you chose to write a book. And not only a book with Bitcoin Money, A Tale of Bitfield Discovering Good Money, not only a book, but a children's book. Why choose to write a book for children about Bitcoin and money rather than for adults? Um, so a lot of the, there's a few answers for that is, um, I'm probably not qualified to write a book for adults, uh, being that I'm not a particularly a technical expert or a economics expert or any of the other fields that have been covered by, you know, excellent authors uh, that, that I've enjoyed um, about the uh, about Bitcoin and, and blockchain and crypto and, and all of that. Um, but my expertise, I have been a um, elementary school, middle school teacher for the past uh, 10 year, nine years or so. Um, when I, I, so I'm a, a, an ordained rabbi, but uh, for most of your listeners might think that means a, like a pulpit rabbi. So I'm not the, the pulpit rabbi of my synagogue. Um, many people are trained as rabbis, which means that they are knowledgeable in Jewish law, in Jewish uh, theology and philosophy, and are qualified to, to teach and to, to do research as well. So that is what I have been doing is um, being a teacher of, of Jewish subjects. So I have that experience. I also have six children of my own. So when I got started in Bitcoin, I think I had three. Now we're up to six. But uh, so I spent mu- uh, much of my time 
explaining Bitcoin to my kids, to my students, you know, whenever you're getting started with someone, you can, you can't just throw a, you know, a tome of, uh, at them and, and, and uh, talk to them about blockchain and watch their eyes glaze over. You really need to start at it very simply. And uh, I got a lot of practice by doing that and trying to uh, compress the ideas down. Uh, I do that as a teacher. Um, and so I, and as a parent and uh, my, between my wife and I, she's done a lot of um, publishing um, she's a graphic designer, so she's uh, been experienced with this. So we kind of came together and I wrote this story and, uh, and she uh, did the, managed the artwork and uh, we came up with it here. I've got my, this is, uh, I don't know if you run uh, other things, yeah, but this is the beautiful. hardcover. So I, you know, that was the point was to just make something that it's for kids, but it's also really for adults because I've been trying to explain to my, my father, who's in his seventies about Bitcoin. And he just, you know, it was so hard for him to wrap his head around it. Younger people get it more, but older people, you know, boomers have a harder time, I think. Um, and so you have to be able to explain it to, to people in terms that they can understand and, and, uh, you know, so it's compared to, you know, a cell phone app and it's getting better now because the, the interface and the UX and experience is getting a lot better than what it was even from 2017. Um, but that's the, that was my main motivation is to take what I know and make a, a starting place, starting point for people to get into uh, Bitcoin in particular to understand why it's valuable, why this is a, why you need a different kind of money because people don't really think about their money that much. They don't think about what, you know, what, what, what makes the U.S. dollars have money, what makes a credit card, what makes a check, how, how any of this works. They don't think about it. It just kind of works for them. And uh, either they're using PayPal or Cash App or this, you know, they, they, they don't really know what's, uh, what's behind it. Some people think there's gold backing up their money. Some people think that there's yeah. dollars in the bank you know, that there, that there's actual dollars and that their bank account means that there's a shelf with, with dollars stacked up. So you, know, you have to kind of think about what's value, what, what makes money. And that's what we introduce in the book. It's such an important point because money dominates everything about our lives, whether that's behind the scenes or very much in focus. And very few people think about what it is, even though it's a part of literally every single decision that we make. In my opinion, since March of 2020 or since the COVID crisis and, and since we've seen the central bank step in, I think there's been more of a general awakening uh, on those topics, right? So when you and I found Bitcoin 2016 for me, 2017 for you, this was still sort of an under the surface idea that your average person didn't get. Have you seen being you know, a Bitcoin enthusiast, but also you know, being involved in the community, writing this book, have you seen an aha moment for people because of the actual macro situation since all that happened? Yeah, absolutely. There's been a huge change. Um, and I don't know if people fully understand what, you know, why it's happening, but just the results of it, the, um, you know, the, the inflation and just kind of the, I think the collapse of 
the politics and and a lot all things are going on are kind of making people just more question you know what is behind all of this what's backing all of this up how does this work you know they they when when the dollar is stable or when it works for people they they're not going to question it they're not going to look for an alternative but when they start to see everything around them you know all the experts in all the fields of of politics and economics and and uh, medicine all of this are are losing people are losing their faith in them uh then they they are going to look for you know, alternatives and Bitcoin is just, they, they you know, you can predict Bitcoin's going to go to zero year after year after year. And then it's still here and it's, you know, in 40,000 and uh, you kind of, after some amount of time, you start to realize like, maybe this isn't going away. Maybe the set is actually the most stable thing that we have in our society right now. It's going to do the same thing. I mean, that's what I love about Bitcoin. You know what it's going to do today. You know what it's going to do tomorrow. I mean, the price uh, I'm not a short-term price guy, but uh, I know, you know, the protocol and the network is going to keep on trucking and it's sort of reliability. So people see it year after year and see the alternative or the mainstream is who knows what's going to be month after month. So there is, I, in my personal life, I'm seeing a, a more uh, open-mindedness uh, towards, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, all of the stuff that's around this space. Have you had any luck convincing your dad finally or any of his friends to buy Bitcoin or at least to care? Oh, yeah. I mean, he he bought Bitcoin. He just didn't understand it. That's I got him to, <laughs> you know, he, he I got him to, he's got a, you know, small uh, allocation and he's actually uh, a couple of uh, people that, that he knows, uh, you know, contact me to ask about it. And, and I have friends of friends who will contact me, uh, and, and ask for help starting up because I'm, you know, the, the Bitcoin guy, the Bitcoin rabbi in my circle of friends. So people come to me and, and, uh, you know, ask for, uh, you know, um, on, on ramp help. Uh, so I, I do that on a regular basis. That's, that's the main thing. I, I guess you could say I, I don't really work in the crypto space. I'm not a trader. I'm not, you know, involved in really any industry or business um, that's, that's involved with crypto, but I'm, I'm just an enthusiast and I like to teach people and help people. And that's kind of what I'm doing. A lot of it's either you know, in DMs or uh, in in person, or just uh, a friend of a friend will text me or something, and uh, I it, there's you know there's an uptick. There is uh, a uh, desire or a taste now for for people are trying. People are looking for yield. People are looking for somewhere to put their money where and 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 to make an extra couple bucks or something because they are not comfortable with the with you know their finances and with the inflation right now. Yeah, I think people are also just scared to buy stocks <laughs> in my experience, you know, sort of the uh, yeah. and the 60-40 model is obviously utterly and completely broken. I, I often joke with guests, if someone gave you $5 million right now, what would you do with it? And most of them literally don't have an answer, even if they're financial experts, right? And so living in that kind of world obviously shows how important Bitcoin, how important Bitcoin is. And I love that you talked about being in your DMs and the real people in your life and being an evangelist in that manner, because that's how this spreads. That's how you get mainstream adoption and a world full of people who believe in Bitcoin. And very few people are actually doing that work. Some of the time, because uh, every time you have those conversations, you take the risk of somebody thinking you're crazy and nuts and, and not getting it at all, right? So do you ever get those people who just are utterly dismissive and tell you you're, you're crazy? You definitely get, uh, I wouldn't say crazy, but there's a lot of um, like 
boomer uh, just rejection. You know, there's a lot of people that just are like, I don't understand it and I don't want to understand it. Um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll see. And, you know, year after year, there's less of them because you can't be, you know, you can only be wrong. Only Peter Schiff can be wrong forever. You know, every, most people have a hard time. They're embarrassed to be wrong year after year after year, um, to see what Bitcoin has, you know, developed in, in a short 13 years. Um, so there's only so long you can kind of, uh, do from do that for most people, um, but there are some that are just I I don't for really for seniors I'm not uh, I don't necessarily think it's the best thing to try and um, you know push on them or or encourage even because you know I'm afraid they're gonna. Uh, yeah, it's not going to make that big of a, of a difference in their overall financial. Lots of times, yeah. you know, seniors, either they're set financially with their, you know, life of, of investing and, and everything, or it's not going to make a, a big difference if my, you know, 80 year old grandma who's on social security is going to do it or not, not, not. So I really think that's another reason why I you know wanted to write a, a children's focused book is because the children, the kids now, all my kids are under age 10 they're going to be the one, they were all born after Bitcoin was invented. They are, you know, when they, when they touch a physical book, they swipe it with their finger. They are a digital age. They're a digital nat- native uh, class of people. And they might never have uh, real bank accounts, you know, or they might use neo banks or half crypto banks, or just, you know, hold their own, uh, hold their own keys and, and, and hold their own Bitcoin. Um, and so those are the, this next generation, they're the ones who are really going to be onboarded en masse. I mean, what we have now compared to what it's going to be in 10 years when, uh, when there's a, when all the people who are age 30 or so, are were born after Bitcoin was invented. I mean, they're pretty. Uh, it's it's hard to imagine sure. what that is going to be because right now everyone who is uh, born after Bitcoin was invented it w- is basically under the age of thirteen, and they have no money. They have they don't have a significant amount of wealth uh, that it matters whether they're into crypto or not. They might not even have uh, cell phones or anything like that. But when they are of the age, when they do have phones and they do have um, have some money to use or invest or spend or whatever it is that they are going to be doing, that's going to be where it really is. So I, I know it's a, it's like a meme, but like we are so early in the big scheme of things just from an age perspective. Right. And interestingly, uh, something that we talk about quite a bit, financial education, certainly in the United States is non-existent. Right. Mm-hmm. I can say that growing yeah. up in the United States, largely in the 80s, nobody ever talked to me about money. Nobody ever talked to me about debt. Maybe, maybe at some point in high school, they taught me how to balance a checkbook. Right. And that was the extent of it. But the but super, nothing... the super important balancing of a checkbook. Yeah. Uh, right. And I'm, you probably I'm, had I'm a actually, similar experience. I'm the treasurer of my synagogue. That's one of the, the duties that I that I do for our synagogue. And when I took over the job from our from the previous person who is a you know a, a senior, uh, you know, he handed me the checkbooks and then showing me this is how we balance the checkbooks. And uh, and I'm like, that's not how you know that there's a website. The bank has a website and they do it for you automatically. You know, you can uh, and so I, he was pretty amazed. So yeah, the, the skills that they, that they didn't teach you about 
uh, about you know finances and and money and credit cards and and all of this uh, and what they did teach. I mean, it's I don't know I don't know who's in charge of those things, but I yeah, it's I think that's a important thing for parents to know that they're going to have to uh, help their kids understand. And uh, hopefully, some of them are. I mean, my book is not a uh, is not a middle school or teenage uh, guide to finance. That might be a, a good idea for a next thing um, for myself or for others. Uh, there probably are some good general um, tools there, um, but that's uh, yeah, it's something that's going to become increasingly more important and a huge opportunity. So I was going to say, as you wrote a children's book about Bitcoin, but perhaps the perhaps the secondary effect of that, intended or otherwise is actually giving your children and other children a bit of financial education and understanding about money from the beginning, whether about Bitcoin or not, right? And so it seems like that's just hugely important to even introduce them to the idea of money and what it really is. Yeah, and say and you know, and saving. I, the things that I talk, you know, saving, investing, and and sharing and giving, you know, that having money and giving charity as well is an important thing that uh, you know, we talk about. I just briefly mentioned in the book, and that's an important value as you know, a rabbi and a parent that we also uh, you know put that in part of the financial education uh, you know for our both for adults and for children that they have this that you you have some you work you get some and you save some and you share some and that's a you know being a uh, just a duty as a as a person as a you know uh, brother of mankind to to help people out and not not just rely that the government is going to take care of everybody, but that we as individuals have, you know, a duty to take care of people. So let's talk about the crossroads between Bitcoin and Judaism, how you teach that, how you see the two. I mean, many people would probably say they have nothing to do with each other, religion, money, completely separate topics, uh, and even then diving into a specific money and how it interacts with a specific religion. So what's the crossroads there? So I look at it a few ways. There's some um, is uh, I just look in the Torah um, and see where we talk about money, where money is mentioned. Um, So there are a few times where there are financial transactions that occur. There's collections of of money. Um, And so, you know, so when I'm giving uh, my classes that I do, I have a presentation called Bitcoin and Judaism. You know, we kind of go through. Um, both the uh, the the primary text of the Torah and then commentaries where various places talk about uh, money. So when in a certain place it says uh, to love God with all of your might means with all of your money that all of your money should be for the purpose of you know of, of serving God and 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 for love of God and for for His purposes. So that's one place. Um, Abraham buys a a cave. And he does a financial transaction. They they uh, kind of haggle on the price. Uh, so I, I walk through some of those things, and then we talk about, you know, what is um, mo- you know what is money described as. So um, in some it, in some cases, uh, financial transactions uh, in in Judaism were um, were done with cattle. And so I talk about the, the idea of um, of uh, ancient types of money, forms of money, you know, we know that there was the rye stones and there's cattle and there's beads and there's um, salt and and various different forms of uh, ancient types of money that uh, developed and silver and gold were really the ones that became both, you know, we know that from a uh, global historical perspective, but also 
um, from a in the in the Jewish writings through the Torah and the Talmud. Uh, really, actually, uh, silver became the common. A denomination of money because you know it's hard, much harder to go around. People think of gold as money, but that's a, a seemingly a more modern idea, and it's also more of a um, macro. Meaning, uh, when you talk about gold, you're talking about governments. But when a person goes, you can't buy a cup of coffee with with a gold coin. It's just it's too expensive, and it's always been too expensive. So we go through some some aspects of like that, um, where the Talmud talks about uh, you know gold and silver and different types of coins and coinage when that. Uh, started to apply. Um, and, uh, and then how, uh, how money applies in Jewish law uh, today. Uh, we, there's financial transactions that occur, like I said, a tzedakah charity um, about uh, in weddings and certain uh, religious uh, procedures involve uh, uh, transfers of money. So we kind of look at, does it need to be uh, coins? Does it, can it be dollars? Can it be, can you write a check? Can you use Bitcoin? And, you know, they're kind of technical things. I don't always have a full answer for that because you know, I'm just one person and there are greater rabbis than I that, that probably have their own opinions about it, but I like to at least look into those. Um, so those are kind of the technical things. Uh, and then I just talk about the general idea of the blockchain. And there's a interesting comparison that if you, the way that Judaism works is that it started really with um, the patriarchs with Abraham and then Moses. And there's this uh, chain of descent that it's actually in Hebrew called the, the chain of descent. I just thought that that was such a fascinating thing that there's really is this uh, consensus mechanism that goes uh, generation after generation, that block after block. And I kind of step through uh, point by point how I think that there's a, a comparison between those. And you know what's the real significance of that? I, I just find it fascinating. And I'm not the only person who is a, a rabbi or, or has looked at this that have found and come across that same interesting uh, comparison of how the decentralization works, how the consensus works, how the you know blocks and and progress of it, and that's just something that that you know spurs a lot of uh, interesting conversation for whenever people look at that for the first time. So we've seen companies like MicroStrategy and Tesla, of course, and more recently KPMG add Bitcoin to their balance sheet. You're the treasurer of your synagogue. Do you guys have Bitcoin on your balance sheet? <laughs> uh, that we the synagogue does not have uh, on its balance sheet. Uh, it's a quite. I, I I wish that our balance sheet was a little more balanced and a little more oh, yeah. and more robust. Had, had of course, little, anyone, yeah, anyone it, who's a religious organization, right? Of course. Yeah, that that's kind of the thing. I mean, even I, I have um, kind of a mixed feeling when uh, religious organizations or charitable organizations uh, ask to collect in uh, Bitcoin or crypto, because a lot of times they will do so, um, you know, to try and get, you know, attention or try to be cool and hip. But most of the time they are just immediately dumping it. And right, I think that they, they often yep. they are converting it because I think that they have that um, fiduciary duty um, to their, you know, that they're not in the business of speculating on crypto prices. And so they, they have that duty from their, you know, from their boards or, or whatever it is. And so when a charity asks me for, you know, a, a, a Bitcoin donation, unless I, there are some times where if it's international or there's some reason why it's um, really beneficial to do so, um, I'd rather generally give fiat because I know that it's just cutting out a step. You know, if I wanted to sell 
Bitcoin and give it to them, I would do that myself instead of giving it to them so they can sell it and do it. That's usually uh, my feeling on, you know, nonprofits uh, and their, you know, uh, investing. But some larger places do have, um, you know, uh, they do have investment strategies. And I, I think that would be a, you know, good thing like colleges do and, and, and large organizations. But that's not that's not my small town uh, synagogue for you. Guys, I'm so excited to tell you about this new crypto cold storage solution called Arculus. Their cold storage technology keeps your crypto keys off the internet and on an Arculus keycard. With no cables and no USB connections, it insulates you from the thousands of hacking attempts that happen online every single day. You can store, swap, and send your crypto all with a simple tap of your Arculus keycard. And if someone were to get a hold of your card, it doesn't even matter because they have three factor authentication, ensuring that the only person with access to your crypto is you. Guys, you can check out Arculus at the wolfofallstreets.link slash Arculus. That's A-R-C-U-L-U-S. Secure your assets, secure your future with Arculus. Have you ever been trading crypto and during bouts of high volatility had your exchange go completely offline or seen the order books go thin and have absolutely no liquidity for your trade? I know that you have, it's happened to every single crypto trader, but it's not an issue anymore thanks to Bullish. Bullish is a powerful new exchange for digital assets that offers deep liquidity, automated market making, and industry-leading security. Combining the innovations of DeFi with the regulated environment of traditional finance, Bullish empowers users to trade with confidence across variable market conditions while securing a regulated environment that's backed by multi-billion dollar liquidity contributions from the Bullish Treasury. Follow at Bullish on Twitter or visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash bullish to learn more. Not investment advice, digital assets, and cryptocurrencies are high-risk products. Consult your professional advisor before dealing in them. Bullish's services are available in select locations only and not to U.S. persons. Visit thewolfofallstreets.link slash bullish for important information and risk warnings. Yeah, there's a, I, I donated to a charity uh, called Charity Water, which provides clean water around the world. I had their CEO on the show and they have what's called a Bitcoin, Bitcoin charity trust where they've dedicated to any Bitcoin that's donated to be held for five years through the next halving cycle and stuff. Then I, I understand it. I, but as you said, that's the only time I gave Bitcoin to that because I believed it would appreciate over five years and it would be a more meaningful donation. But there's no reason I to also, sell my Bitcoin I, yeah. to make a donation. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I gave to that as well. I think that's a great idea. You know, that's, I, I think that is something I bet we're going to be seeing more of those uh, kind of things over the coming years. I'm glad that you've heard of that because it was really the first compelling case where I said, it makes more sense to do this with Bitcoin than to just take the, mm -hmm. than to give the money taxable transactions and all the implications of doing anything with your Bitcoin, obviously are always complicated uh, in the United States, regardless. Does Bitcoin itself and the Bitcoin community ever feel like a religion in and of itself to you? Because a lot of people well, have said that there have been articles in Bloomberg about how Bitcoin is yeah, a religion. Well, I, I, I've, I've heard that. Um, I think it's a borrowed term. I mean, as a person that's uh, deeply religious and I, for me, what, you know, what my religion means is, you know, it's, it's essential to my, to my being, to my soul, you know, it's, it's something that is really entirely who you are. And a hobby is, uh, or a passion, they might overlap in some aspects. You, you have, they have symbolism. There is, I mean, it's like, is sports a religion? I mean, there's, there people are really, uh, so I just think that it's, uh, they, people are using the term um, in somewhat of a derogatory sense um, because they are, 
uh, you know, trying to say that, that it's, you know, cult-like or something. I, I think people are enthusiastic. People get enthusiastic about all kinds of things, about, about, their, um, about their hobbies in a various uh, range of things. And people are, can, are passionate about it. That they, I think the most people that are the most passionate about Bitcoin and crypto in general are, are not just because they are, believe that it's going to be financially beneficial to themselves personally, but because they Agreed. believe that it is going to be beneficial to the world. And that is where the passion comes from. And you can't say that about most other hobbies people have. Even if you're a really passionate uh, uh, into politics, one, one side or another, or, or this or that, you know, your individual involvement is doesn't have that great of a, you know, especially you're, you know, tweeting whatever on, on the internet doesn't have that big of an effect, but you being involved in crypto does in some sense, every, you know, every person that's involved, that is literally what, you know, raises the, raises the whole market cap. It is what makes it more uh, widespread. And every time you, you know, teach someone else about it or, or, you know, do any kind of transaction, you are spreading it more. So you are having an effect. So I understand the enthusiasm. Um, I, I think a lot of the stuff is, is fun and, uh, you know, the memes and stuff. I, I, I don't think people complain about the, you know, tribalism or toxicity. I, I think it, it's not comparatively, it, it's not more so than any other industry of anything. I mean, politics is so much more uh, divisive yeah. and toxic. Even sports can be divisive and toxic and, 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 you know, different other, other different interests people can have can, can arise that I think it's more of a, a more of a phenomenon about social media and Twitter than it is about crypto um, you know, in particular. So I, I so that's my answer. I, there's a lot of overlaps when you have people that are passionate in an interest and, and, and a hobby. Th there are you have you've got, you know, uh, uh, tribalism and uh, and memes and uh, team colors and mascots and slogans and things like that. But that's not really an inherent to a religion. Um, religions just also have those things because they're people that are deeply passionate about it. So I would say there's that overlap. But, you know, as a religious person, I know very and a religious person and a person deeply passionate about about Bitcoin. I know the difference between the two. Uh, so I wouldn't say that it is a religion. Uh, so that's a pretty long winded answer. But uh, I agree. I, I feel like well, I, well, I, I, I just I say that, obviously. I, you are maybe the most qualified person I've had on to, 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 to say it. So that's perfect. That said, obviously, we have a tribalism, as you said, but certainly a passion about Bitcoin and what it can be. And it can be a bit hyperbolic, right? There's people believe that Bitcoin will eat the world financial system. It will become the global reserve currency. A lot would have to happen in the world for that to happen. Actually, to, in fact, you can make the argument that the world would probably be a much worse place if that had to happen. What kind of world will we be living in if the existing systems collapsed and we were on a Bitcoin standard? But do you believe that we can that Bitcoin can effectively become the global reserve currency moving forward? Yeah, I think that's a realist. I think that's a realistic idea. Um, I think that uh, in some way or another, I don't know what that looks like exactly. I don't know which fiat currencies will continue. I mean, it's hard to imagine that like the Lebanese currency is going to continue to exist huh. it, it, it not, not in its current form. So they might make a neck, another one um, and start it over, or maybe at some point they use 
a, a, a Bitcoin or a Bitcoin uh, pegged uh, thing or a dollar pegged cryptocurrency or something like that. Um, so I'm not sure what form it's going to take, um, but I, I think that the the growth uh, rate is is you know in on a generally inevitable path that uh, that Bitcoin particularly and but crypto and stable coins and all of that are on a inevitable path of growth and a widespread adoption. If Bitcoin becomes worth yeah, let's two three million dollars of Bitcoin becomes a global reserve currency. You'd probably be exceptionally wealthy. You're also obviously a <laughs> rabbi. What would you do with the money? Uh, you know, I, 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 no one ever says how much you know Bitcoin they have, but I'll just tell of you, I, uh, I'm a, a rabbi that uh, a rabbi and a and an elementary school teacher that you know first bought a, any uh, sizable amount of Bitcoin on the at the December 2017 top. Of course, I, I don't. Think, Everyone did. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm literally I'm the one that buys the top every single time. Every every time you know from from uh, December 2017 till now, I, I like I can sense it's a top, and I'm like I got to get onto that top, and and You're you know, helping buy, the market. I'm, yeah, I mean, no one's somebody's got to buy the top. I mean, <laughs> that somebody's got to do it. So uh, I, I don't really like. I, I think so little about, uh, about that. Like I, like I said, if I, if the main interest for me was becoming wealthy, um, one, I wouldn't be in the business that I'm in, um, and two, I would probably be spend a lot more time, uh, you know, following your trade calls and and getting <laughs> in and out of uh, the altcoin. Uh, you know, businesses, but I, I, you know, I just, I like, I feel comfortable holding Bitcoin, um, you know, and I feel comfortable knowing that my, that my children will have the Bitcoin. So I, I guess yeah. I'll have to ask them what they're going to do with it. Cause I have no, you know, I live in, I live in a very comfortable life, you know, in, in the United States. Um, and if I, if I never had Bitcoin, um, I would probably be fine, you know, general, relatively fine. Um, so I've got no no big plans. I'm probably going to need, you know, we've got six kids. So I, I, I do need large vans to get us around uh, from place to place. So if Tesla ever makes, you know, a 15 seater van, I might get one of those. But other than that, I, I'm a pretty, uh, you know, pretty humble uh, as far as our, you know, finances. But those are the people that we need to be wealthy. Right. The, the people that the world needs to have wealth are the ones whose lives are not dedicated to accumulating the wealth and have, you know, charitable intentions and, and a good heart. Well, there, I, you know, I think that is uh, I there's a you know, there's all different types of people in, in Bitcoin. But that's another thing is that I really want to um, make people understand that, uh, you know, Bitcoin really is for, you know, the average a uh, family man or, 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 you know, a, a single mother or for this per or for a, a, a teenage kid or for a, uh, you know, a, a person living in, uh, in a third world country that maybe can do uh, work, you know, online and, and, uh, and can be paid uh, internationally, that it's not just, I think that in 2017, there was this um, uh, stereotype that Bitcoiners were either, um, computer geek like far out uh anarchists or drug people or um 
hyper financial, you know, um, VC kind of uh, that kind of thing that there were there were uh, motifs of people that were into crypto. And I by being a public, you know, family man rabbi that likes Bitcoin, I, I am trying to get that message out that, you know, it really is just, you know, for for the average person can uh, can can involve themselves here and and find some value for themselves and their family. Yeah, I love that message because Bitcoin really is for everyone. And and like I, we touched on earlier, yes, there's very wealthy people who want to use it as a hedge against inflation to perfect, per, protect their portfolios against the dollar. But your average person, that's not what they care about, right? They care about putting. Yeah. They, they care about saving some money for their kids so that their kids can do better than they did. And it's my belief that Bitcoin is the best way to do that. Right. But uh, it's hard to get that message across when they're talking about drug dealers and criminals. Yeah. I think the best use case is to give it to uh, kids when they're or start a account for a kid when they're born or at some you know young age. And that is either, you know, their college fund or their, you know, business, um, you know, starting thing that if you start a uh, savings, uh, you know, Bitcoin savings account for your nieces and nephews when they're born and add a little bit more for their birthdays. Well, first of all, they're, the best is that they're going to be hodlers because they don't even know how to spend it or lose right. it. And you're, you know, and you're kind of helping them with their, with their backup. And then, you know, 18 years later uh, or something like that, uh, they find out that, you know, they've had Bitcoin uh, and, you know, Bitcoin hasn't even been around for 18 years, but I can imagine that I think at, uh, over any 18 year span of time, holding on to Bitcoin is going to be probably a winner that is going to be have some amount of life changing, even if it was a small amount that you were starting off with. And that a lot of people, especially in the US, can do that um, for their family members, friends, uh, nieces and nephews and that. So I think that's really a, a valuable thing uh, to get started. I, I do that all my all of my students when they are uh, bar bat mitzvah. That's, uh, oh, that's, I, you know, that's what that's what they get. And uh, they say, what do I do with this? And I say, just hold on to it. Do nothing with it. You'll know when you should do something with it. You'll, you'll know. And if you need to figure it out in a few years time, come back to me. I'll tell you then. I was going to say, the best part is that we say, you know, it's for our kids and for let's start a college fund or, you know, when they want to buy a house down the road. But knowing our generation or certainly me, when they actually decide they may want to sell it, I'm going to guilt them and tell them that they need to hold it for their kids. <laughs> yeah. right, right. I know I said that this was for yeah. your future, but really yeah. you're supposed to hold this forever. You can never sell. <laughs> right? that, that's going to be us. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, so that's... where can everybody follow you and check out the book, which is now in hardcover after after this podcast? Um, so I'm, you know, I, I'm 24, six, pretty much on Twitter at the Bitcoin rabbi, uh, you know, I take off on Shabbat. Um, but, uh, that's where you can find me giving my hot takes on Bitcoin and NFTs, uh, <laughs> lately. Um, but, uh, the book is on Amazon. It's pretty easy to find Bitcoin money. Um, or my website is, uh, um, bitcoinmoneybook.com. Uh, and yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been translated into, I think, 12 or 13 languages now. Um, I've seen it. It's all around the world. I just have loved uh, seeing it go to so many people. People share pictures of their of their little children, uh, you know, reading it or the kids reading it with their grandmother or all kinds of stuff. It's been just, I've loved seeing 
uh, where the book has has gone and where it's taken me, the kind of people that I've gotten to interact with and meet. And that's one of the great things about Bitcoin is, you know, you get to have these kind of conversations, uh, you know, with people all around the world and different kinds of people. So I love it. I love chatting with people. Um, I love taking questions. I mean, I'm a rabbi. That's so that's what I, you do. when people come to, yeah, that's what I, what I do. So people, you know, hit me up in the, in the DMS with the, with their, with their, uh, rabbinic, uh, queries. So that's, that's what I like. So maybe, uh, the next book will be about how to hold shul in the metaverse. With your that, VR you know, we, on, right? <laughs> we, we've done, we have done, we've done a few, uh, a few, uh, Jewish holiday events, uh, in, in VR. I do, I have a quest wow. to, and so I'm, that's, that's another, uh, side hobby of mine. We've done some Passover and Hanukkah things. And I, I, I wow. like that. I am, I'm working with some people about, there are some, uh, you know, religious, uh, restrictions on, on being, you know, actually personally, uh, present, present um, of but there's still, yeah. you know, but there's still a lot of, uh, fun things that you can do. Um, and I, I, I am watching that space, uh, the metaverse. Yeah. I guess it doesn't count as uh, people in the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. T- t- for 10, 10 people for, uh, for a prayer service. Um, but, but there's, there's still, there's a lot that you can experience and learn and, you know, not everything is that strict uh, technical stance of, uh, of being in a synagogue uh, or being, you know, on a holiday. We don't use uh, the traditional uh, refraining from electronics and things. Um, but, you know, throughout the week uh, and on some holidays, there, there are some cool ideas that are yet to be explored about how we can, uh, you know, how we can utilize that. I mean, that's the whole point of technology, the whole point of technology whether it's, you know, uh, financial or medical or transportation or everything, uh, you know, our belief is that God created everything in this world for us to use it for good purposes, uh, to, you know, help ourselves and help other people and help the world. So whatever it is, whether it's, you know, crypto or, or VR or anything, uh, that's kind of my mindset, not, not should we use this or not, or is it allowed or not? Is it kosher? You know, if it's all about what your intention is and what your purpose are, is are for this and how you're using it for good. And then it's a tool for good. I absolutely love that. So tell me then in, in six months or a year, we're going to repeat this, but the next one's going to be about the metaverse and how you're using that. Okay. Deal. All right. Get That's a great idea. <laughs> great idea. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. This was really enlightening. And uh, I love your perspective. We need a lot more people like you in the Bitcoin community. So thank you. Thanks.